Hey, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to Implosion, where we like to talk about the power within. Um, one of my favorite TV shows was The Incredible Hulk. And basic David Banner seemed basic to everyone, but within there was a power that made him one of the strongest creatures on Earth. There are many people who have rise from a lot of challenges, but because of something strong within them made them rise above it. And that's what we're here to talk about. Tonight, I am blessed with the opportunity to introduce to you, to many, um, a lady named Andy Berger. And I'm going to read your bio. We'll bring her in. And I'm going to pretty much let her share her story because it is definitely something everyone needs to hear. Andy Berger is a renowned international speaker, author, and tireless advocate for the victims of human trafficking and sexual exploitation with degrees in business administration and a juris doctor she co-founded beulah's place with her husband in 2008 providing shelter to at-risk homeless teens for 14 years successfully rescuing and assisting over 300 youth her work received national recognition and praise from congress members and national leaders in 2019, Andy established Voices Against Trafficking, or VAT, a nonprofit dedicated to speaking for those silenced by human trafficking and sexual exploitation, drawing from her own experiences of, of surviving 17 years of abuse and child trafficking. VAT champions human rights for all, irrespective of race, gender, culture, or economic status, and their book, Voices Against Trafficking, supports trafficking victims. In January 2023, Andy launches Voices of Courage magazine in collaboration with WOM Media, now distributed nationally and internationally as part of the Library of Congress. The magazine celebrates everyday heroes working selfishly to safeguard human rights across diverse communities worldwide let me tell you there is so much more i could tell you about miss andy but let's go ahead and bring miss andy in and let her explain all this so miss andy come on in well thank you so much troy what an honor to be on blast radio and to be there for your listeners and thank you for the honor of being here <laughs> i thank you for your time to come chat with us the honor is really all of ours big time so how are you doing today? Let me ask you that first. <laughs> I'm doing fantabulously well, and that is my word. <laughs> kind of fantastic and fabulous. So we, I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking. I'm, I'm excited to be here and excited to be uh, speaking about a really important topic that, you That's know, nice. a hard truth, but there's also hope to it. Sure thing. One of the things that I ask any of my guests is... I ask who they are and tell the little people about them. So could you do that for us, please? Absolutely. I mean, the, the elevator part of it is, you know, when it comes right down to it, Troy, I am a treasure hunter. And what I mean by that is that human life, every human life is a treasure. 
And, and a lot of human life has been broken or hurt or disappointed, or there have been incidents in their lives that cause a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And sometimes, you know, they don't have anyone to advocate for them. And right. I was called a long time ago to go get the downtrodden, to go get the discarded, the, the ones that the world doesn't think is important or valuable. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've kind of captured that, you know, um, God said these are his peculiar treasures and he sees nothing but perfect value in them. So I consider myself a treasure hunter who just happened to went to college, you know, got my law degree, went back to business because I thought I could do more good there. And then from there on, decided that I wanted to help anyone that had been through the life you're going to hear about shortly. Mm, okay. So I tell you what, as you know, we've discussed the many questions I wanted to share with you as well as with the people. So can you tell us about your journey from being a survivor of trafficking to become an author? What motivated you to share your story? Well, one of the things in the journey, of course, was the, was the actual incidents. And so before there ever was a term called human trafficking, I was... Uh, trafficked from six months old to 17 years old by immediate family and all immediate family and extended family members, male and female. So uh, I know we'll talk a little bit more about that, but um, coming from that background, 17 years is a long time. And in the early 60s, people didn't even talk about child abuse and stuff. So there was no way out of that. And uh, anyway, fast forward to going to college and seeing how other people lived and learning about so many other problems. I thought, you know, I need to get help and I need to find a way to live through, to live differently, to create a new normal is what I call it. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and between college, law school, and finally getting on my feet and starting to get a little confidence in myself, even though I still didn't think very highly of myself, I mm. figured, I got up every day and did something, then that was a win um, versus going backwards and, and just wallowing in victimhood. I thought if I press on, then I win. And if I don't, the evil people in my life will have won. So oh. pressing on made you know a lot of decisions in business. And then, you know, unfortunately married an abuser, which, you know, obviously you don't know at the time. Uh, and then I was delivered from that. And a friend of mine I met up with shortly after I met my husband of today. Uh, we've been married 23 years and he's amazing. Um, she said, Andy, we need to get your story out. But that was uh, shortly after 2008. And in 2008, Troy, man, I had the fourth of 10 traumatic brain injuries. And that one left me without memory of like almost a whole year. And so I, I lost my job, I lost my income, all of that, you know, Ed and I were, were building his business. So I didn't know what I was going to do. I couldn't be a corporate trainer anymore. I was lucky if I remembered the day. And that's where the idea for one, telling part of my story and two, moving forward into a shelter, uh, creating something for other kids came from. So uh, Kay Farish, my writer, she said, you know, I really wanna at least get part of your story and some some of the kids that you've rescued through Beulah's Place, you know, in print. And it was about four years or more. And she took a very hard topic and really did a great job of writing it out um, with me because the content to give to her was very hard to give. Mm. And that's okay. how it started. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you find the strength and the resilience to overcome the challenges you face during your trafficking experience? 
Well, for me, uh, when I was about five years old, so the first memory of my birth mother I had was of her standing in the kitchen with a meat cleaver in one hand. She was making dinner and I was about three and my birth brother was about six or seven and she started screaming at us, stomping her feet, yelling and charging us because we had put our little hands on the wallpaper, peeking in. And she chased us through the house and at three, I thought she's gonna cut me up and I'm gonna die. And so that's how it started with memories, but then by the age five, the abuse, the sexual abuse, physical abuse, torture, all just the, the just ritualistic, I would even call it close to satanic stuff that happened, uh, it was so bad. I thought I'm going to kill myself. I'm just going to go jump in front of a car and end it all because at least if I'm dead, no one can touch me six feet under. And that's right. a lot for a little kid to think about at five. But yep. she had made it clear that she could take my life out at any moment. And mm -hmm. so I thought I'll just beat her to the punch. But mm -hmm. you know, that day I went to the curb of my house and I was waiting for a car to be coming down our street. And it was a busy street normally and no car came. And it wow. felt like hours, right? And I'm looking up into this huge blue sky and I'm thinking, I wonder how far it goes. I wonder how big it is, you know, little kid questions. And then I thought, I wonder if somebody bigger uh, than the people hurting me is out there. And mm -hmm. in that moment, right then, I heard in my heart this voice that said, this is not the plan I have for you. Suicide mm -hmm. is not the answer. And for me, that was God. And from that point on, I went up to the garage and I basically said these exact words. If you keep me alive, I will do whatever you call me to do. So that is real childlike faith because I had no idea what that would mean. Right. And it got worse, you know, in some of those years between seven and, and 12. And I tried to take my life a couple of other times and I was locked up for, you know, a few months in summer for no reason and just, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, so by the time I was 17, my birth mother, uh, it was the last time she tried to kill me. And so uh, my birth father actually did one decent thing was pulling her off of me. But at that point, I knew that I had nothing and yet I had God and that was everything. I just didn't have the full comprehension but think about it you know in, in those days you know i was 17 which meant i was still a minor i couldn't call for help i had tried to run a couple of times and i was sent back by well-intentioned neighbors or friends so to speak and then i paid a bigger price because you just don't do that you know with a predator or someone abusing you right. and and i just uh i just kept going believing that god had a plan for me and again, if I live, I win. And if I don't, then the evil people win. And right. at that point, I was like, not giving up. I'm a natural redhead and redheads don't quit, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you share some of your most significant moments or turning points in your journey towards recovery and healing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Once I got out in the world and I realized how other people lived and I realized how other people were raised, because remember from infancy to, you know, adulthood, I only knew one thing, which was ugly and evil. 
Um, so I didn't know exactly how other people lived. I saw movies, I saw shows, but that was TV. So I didn't really know how people lived. Did they have real friends and things like that? So as I discovered that relationships were challenging for me because mm -hmm. I really couldn't trust anyone, but yet, you know, I wanted to date or I wanted to have friends. I just didn't know how to handle that. So I would go to church, you know, I'd go to church with friends, uh, college student, you know, I finished college early and just wanted to get out in the world and make my way in it. So I, I think one of the first significant things, which didn't come until much, much later is uh, a couple of uh, rather uh, a man and woman couple of friends of mine they they said andy you know we don't really know how to tell you how to experience god you know him in your brain but you haven't experienced that breakthrough love yet mm -hmm. and a little bit after that the the biggest moment is when i went to a chapel service one of those i really don't want to go but i'll go because somebody was going with me we got no. Late, <laughs> and don't you know the only two seats open were in the very front pew? Of course. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm trapped. <laughs> I, I and I was just really dealing from some of the the stuff that I was remembering, and so in the speaker, she was really empowered. She was really inspired, and. About an hour and a half later, she started praying about someone that had been crying out to God for years and desperately. And she knew some things that not a lot of people knew about me. And I had just been bawling the whole time because she spoke to my heart and I was just there crying and weeping the whole time. She probably was wondering what is wrong with this person, but she finished. And do you know, Troy, when she was done, she stepped down and she came, people had started leaving and she sat next to me. She didn't even say a word, but what she did do, she put her arms around me and she started rocking me like a real mom would do for a child, a good mom, a safe mom would do for a child. And I had never experienced that. Wow. Yeah. And when I felt that, I started to feel things that I hadn't really felt before. I didn't even know could exist. And um, she never said a word. And I was probably 31 at the time when that happened. Man. 31 years old. Mind blowing. Yep. So that was a hugely significant uh, event in my life. Understood. So at this time, I want to bring up uh, your two books that you have that are on sale on Amazon. Uh, one of them is The Fragile Thread of Hope, One Survivor's Quest to Rescue. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that book. Sure. Uh, that book, the one that I had a writer help me with, is about my story, a little bit more of my story, so people understand there's nothing gritty or graphic. We don't believe in, in that kind of stuff, but a little bit of my story intertwined with four stories from four of the homeless at-risk teens that we rescued. And one was traffic, the other three had different circumstances that drove them to the streets because they were running from things that were worse, where they lived or whoever was in charge of them at that time. So it kind of one tells people, hey, who are these kids, right? Not all of them are rebellious. That's a small percentage. Uh, we, we discard our kids. We do a lot of things, but um, there's also what has happened in their future once they had intercession, like with our safe house system, and they had people that were willing to be there during the rough times without judgment 
and to love them unconditionally, no matter what they threw at us. You know, Ed and I, we experienced a lot of things. Uh, so these are four of the kids that uh, their stories. And then um, there's also uh, one of those young girls that we talk about actually became our official daughter a few years ago. So we became parents in our 60s officially. Wow. Um, Though we're mom and aunt and uncle to a lot of kids, but uh, she was ready for a family. And she had come to our shelter like two days after her 18th birthday. So we had kind of been in her life for six or seven years. And one Christmas, she said, would you guys adopt me and my puppy, <laughs> you know, officially? Wow. So. That, that was a great joy. Uh, but the book is really to educate, inspire, and maybe uh, I've had several people that are survivors that said, you finally have a book that actually expresses how I felt mm-hmm. going through abuse or going through a sexual assault or going through whatever. They found themselves and felt like they were not alone. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Mm-hmm. Uh- your other book, The Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices Speaking as One. Tell us about that book. Yes. Yeah, so after our, our shelter closing during COVID and all of that, um, God inspired another nonprofit. Voices Against Trafficking is a 501c3 nonprofit. And we wanted to give uh, the general public uh, locally, regionally, nationally, internationally tools to help create conversations, to help create awareness. So this particular book, uh, the goal was to get people to understand if we collectively speak together against uh, sexual violation and exploitation, against human trafficking, against, you know, any human rights violation, really, but specifically in that area, because even one sexual assault can change a person's entire life, uh, whether it's repetitive or not. So this book has about 18 to 20 small chapters, five, six pages, and it's from different voices all around um, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico in this one. We have a second edition come out early next year, but this particular one, great handbook for educators, mental health professionals, high school principals. I mean, if you want to do your school a favor, make sure they have a copy of this book. If your home library doesn't have a copy, have a copy of it because there are media members, there are survivor leaders like myself, there are, hey, I was just a mom or a dad and I was flying and my whole life changed when I saw whatever. And then there's also in the back of the book, helplines, hotlines that people can put in their phones right now. And there's also a few pages on tips to prevent child abuse and some tips that people can use right now to help make their families safer, whatever that family unit is. So both of the books are on Amazon. Both of them give approximately 45% of proceeds back to actual victims. Nice. Okay. So let's see here. Um, Now, what message or lesson do you hope your books will convey to readers, especially those who may have faced similar experiences? Mm-hmm. Well, I think number one, that uh, if they face similar uh, circumstances, you're not alone. Okay. Secondly, it's not your fault. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because victims live with shame, guilt. I shouldn't have done that, or maybe this, or maybe that. They, and I, I want them to get that out of their minds because that's not true. Someone preys upon you, it is on them. That is their free will. The third thing is the education and awareness. 
I don't know how to talk about it. We'll pick up this book and maybe you'll learn from some of the conversations that help the people who wrote those chapters learn to talk about it. You'll get a little bit of information. You'll get some statistics. So it's kind of a conversation opener, but it can also be a reference book for people that just need small doses of information. For example, one of the chapters is on PTSD. I finally learned to start speaking publicly about that when I was 60, you know, and that that might help somebody out there. So we want to encourage people to not look at this as the ugly elephant in the room. I mean, it's a huge elephant, but we want them to see, you know, that it's possible to turn this around if they want to be a voice, a part Mm. of the solution. Yes, indeed. Okay. Um, How do you envision the role of literature and storytelling to raise awareness about human trafficking and its survivors? Well, I absolutely believe in storytelling. I do think you, you know, you have to have some statistics, science backup, but at the end of the day, even when you go back to biblical times, parables were how a lot of people learned. Grandparents used to pass on stories to their grandkids way back when, and that's how people learned about behavior, relationships, you know, the world at, at that time, their culture, everything was passed down. We don't really have that system so much anymore. And so I, I think literature is very important. I think that if it's written well and written in the right, um, with the right uh attitude with the right goal in mind, which is to gently educate and create the awareness and then give people the tools to act on it. That Mm -hmm. that is very, very powerful. Think about, you know, commercials, the things we read and see every day, whether it's on TV or it's in a magazine, you're constantly being bombarded with uh, words and images. For us, we want to change the wording and change the imaging about human trafficking so that Mm -hmm. people won't be intimidated or terrified to help. Right. And that's what it's, do. Yeah, I apologize. It's it's amazing how fear can prevent so much healing to take place. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And let's see here. In your opinion, what misconceptions or stereotypes about trafficking survivors would you like to dispel through your writing? Well, number one is they're all runaways. Okay, that is wrong because a lot of them were abandoned, discarded. Uh, Mom got a new boyfriend. Boyfriend didn't like the daughter, so out she goes, right? The daughter goes, and that's a true, true story. There there are all kinds of situations, so uh, that is not true. In fact, uh, when... Uh, a group, uh, a large group study on on women in prostitution was done. It showed that 89% of those women who were adults now were recruited as minors, as young as 12 years old. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of myths about, well, they chose to be a prostitute or they chose to be, you know, sold or whatever. That is that is completely wrong. The mm-hmm. other the other myth is that oh it doesn't happen in my neighborhood. <laughs> well, yes it does, and we do have statistics to show that every state has human trafficking to some degree, and mm-hmm. we also know uh, Donald W. Washington, who uh, in two years ago was the director of the U.S. Marshal Service, his statistic was at that time every forty seconds, Troy, every forty seconds in America, a child mm-hmm. eighteen years or under is abducted, they're taken, or they're lured into something that maybe looks safe, like a summer job, you know, mowing lawns or or passing out papers or flyers or babysitting. And how many parents or guardians really check out, oh, you know, who's 
who's paying my child or where's my child going? Oh, great. They have a summer job. How cute or how great, right? They'll learn something. But do we know who's on the other end of that advertisement, right? right. So, and with over 500,000 half a million predators every day on the internet trolling for human product, we need to be more discerning, more attentive, and let our kids and young people, even through college age, know, look, we're not trying to police you. We're trying to protect you. But one of the ways to do that is to have conversations. And so the tools we're providing will hopefully open some of those doors. If someone can pick up a book and read a few chapters or something like that, then maybe that literature you talked about will have uh, more impact. Wow. Thank you. Um, how can individuals or communities better support survivors of trafficking and create safe spaces for them to heal and thrive? That's a great question. Uh, for one, we don't have enough beds for trafficking victims, but we have plenty of shelters for animals and I have nothing, you know, there's no judgment on that. It just seems like we ought to balance out the need a little bit in this country. A few years ago, there were only 700 beds available for victims in the entire U.S. Okay, now we've, we've come up a little bit, but not nearly enough. And, and especially, yes, with the border situation, we have a lot more people in general in this country. So we need more services, more resources, but we also need to manage them well. If you run a shelter or a safe house well, people won't know it's a shelter or a safe house. They will see it as something that's very productive and positive for communities. So number one, communities need to take the blinders off and actually say, you know what? We should have something here, okay? And mm -hmm. we have victims, or maybe there's some people that have their game face on at church or at school or at you know a social group because they're afraid to let anyone know that they've been hurt that way. So the other thing is, what is city council doing? What is local leadership doing? What is regional leadership doing? Are we talking about it enough so that victims feel confident and safe to maybe report for one? Because that's how we get numbers, but we don't really have accurate reporting because I didn't become a statistic till I was in my early 30s. Okay, and I was getting counseling and help. But that's a really important thing is that we allow people to report. We, we vet it out. We, 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 do, we do due diligence. Okay. But at the end of the day, we need to receive those victim survivors into a loving and embracing community without judgment instead of wagging our fingers or telling them, well, just pray about it, which I hear a lot. It's like, um, that's not enough. Okay. And secondly, Use the two ears that God gave us more than the mouth and listen to them. They can't express what PTSD is for the education and the experiences I've had. It took me a while to be able to say, I don't know why I don't feel like me, but I miss me. And it wasn't depression. It was just going through some very intense triggers or what we call, uh, well, I call them agitators because they are agitating, but things that get activated that you mm -hmm. might not even know how to communicate. But right. if Troy was listening to me and just allowed me to be, sometimes that's all we need to do with victims is just let them be and let them have their moment and tell their story when they're ready to. Right, I agree. We have a, a question here. Uh, mm -hmm. This is from Sophia. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, D-Ray. <laughs> Uh, she asked, what state has the highest number for sexual trafficking? 
Well, it changes a little bit, Sophia, but I believe I haven't looked at statistics for this past month, but I believe uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia is up there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it just is. I'm not sure why, but in Georgia, you can talk about Miami. You can talk about Portland, Oregon. You can talk about areas where there are ports where people can ship victims yeah. in and out. So think mm-hmm. about waterways. But right now, a friend of mine who's down there said it is the worst it's ever been. So I'm going to guess it'll at least be in the top two or three on the next report. My goodness. Okay. Uh, let me see here. Have you encountered any unexpected moments of hope or kindness during your journey that you would like to share with your fans and listeners? Oh, my goodness. There are a lot of them to to choose from. I think, you know, one of the things I'm going to go back to my husband because, you know, it took him all of two weeks to propose. He was a little slow, but (laughs) but he did. He, he said, you know, I don't understand everything that's happened to you at that time, but two things I can promise. I will never leave you and I will always listen. And, you know, it was the first time any male human being had ever not wanted something from me, didn't need to get anything from me. I didn't have to do anything. He just wanted to love me and I had never experienced mm-hmm. that. So that that's, was huge. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then there were there were others along the way. I'll tell you about the the twenty five thousand dollar cup of coffee. So some friends, yes, some friends had invited uh, Ed and me over for dinner. Uh, their older friends are like eighty five, going on fifty, and they had a a gentleman uh, who was coming over for dinner. He said, "We really want you to meet him." And we're like, "Okay, great," you know. So we met, and he was he was kind of a quiet gentleman, and I uh, had just gone through a divorce. And anyway, we left that day, and. And uh, about, I don't know, maybe five or 10 days later, I get a call and it's this gentleman and he says, um, do you mind if Ed and I come, uh, uh, do, you, do you and Ed mind if I come over for a cup of coffee? And I'm like, well, that's an awful long way to drive for coffee, but sure. Ed, Ed, <laughs> I hung up and I told Ed, he says, he's coming all this way for a cup of coffee. I said, hey, you never know. It's a God thing probably. So right. he comes over and literally he sits down and I offered him coffee and a cookie, okay? <laughs> and he talked to us for about 10 minutes. He said, um, I'm gonna leave this envelope on the table, but I don't need to open it until after I leave. And I think he was there for maybe 15 minutes, okay? Mm-hmm. So um, I usually got to open the gifts and that people would send and do the banking and everything for the nonprofit. But I wanted Ed to have a fun experience because I didn't know what was in there. Right. And he opened it. And he says, you're never going to believe this. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, we got like a thousand dollars, right? You know, and he says, no, we got you keep going. And I'm like five, ten. And I was on my knees by the time I said fifteen thousand. And I was like in tears on the floor in humility and in gratitude. And he, and he showed it to me. It was twenty five thousand dollars. Wow. And we needed it so badly. It was almost the, the Thanksgiving Christmas season. And it's just a, we have more people in need at those times. And it allowed us, we use that money so wisely. It, it, it really took us like six months into six months of operations because we, we just used it really well. And uh, so that was like, you never know when that moment, that one conversation, that one kindness that you extend to somebody will turn into, and it's not, it wasn't just the money. It was like, I, I told Ed, who has that kind of money to give? <laughs> but he, it was on his heart. So that's wow. a different kind of experience. 
That is awesome. Mm -hmm. That is incredible. I love that. So what we're going to do, Miss Sandy, is we're going to take a time. Uh, what we do here at Blast, uh, the main reason Blast was created was to help independent artists gain exposure. And one of the things we do is we showcase their music at the midpoint of every podcast. And we run about almost 11 podcasts a week. So we have an artist who is an amazing guy. Um, his name is Michael Bate of the Michael Bate Band. And this is his song that's called My Way. So let's check it out. Faces is fading A distant dream I can't define I can't define These chains are slowly wearing I tried in vain to hold back time They speak to me with such disdain, with such disdain. I can't see behind me through the tank. Provide some clarity of what lies in front of me. The roots are broken, but my wings are open. Come what may. Help me find my way Help me find my way To feel the ground beneath me It seems too far My hands are tied My hands are tied Sensory confusion My sense of touch has been denied To cover perfect all The morning can't come round too soon Around too soon Into the garden and cut the fragile flowers in bloom. The view provides some clarity of what lies in front of me. Broken, but my wings are open. Come what may. 
help me find my way. And that was Mate with My Way. Mm. What do you think about that, Miss? Oh my God. Oh my God. That was amazing. <laughs> I really, really felt that. You can hear his heart and, and the strings and the voice. I think it worked really, really well. It was a beautiful song. We custom custom picked that specifically for the show. <laughs> I kind of thought that. I know. It tripped me up, too. I was, like, getting glistening in the eyes there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Michael Bate is a great guy. I'll be more than glad to introduce you to him. He's an awesome guy. But let me do this feel real quick. If you are an independent artist or a spoken word poet or even a comedian looking for some exposure, you can go to BlastMusic247.com and register for free. But here's the important thing. Blast is not just looking for the artists. We're looking for fans. So if you love music, just like that great song from Michael Bate, you can go to BlastMusic247.com and register for free as a fan and have access to hundreds and hundreds of music. Blast, changing the industry one artist at a time. All righty. Paid the bills. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we want to go ahead and go into the organization, and that is Voices Against Trafficking. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Now, we know that you have a magazine that is coming out soon. Can you please tell us about the Voices of Courage magazine? Absolutely. This is another God thing. I'm telling you, you know, all these nudges in life. But this uh, is I'm so proud of the cover and the, the featured uh, Crystal Chen. And I'll tell you about her in a moment. But Voices of Courage magazine came out because we wanted to highlight everyday heroes, whether they were famous or not famous, who are on the front lines of trying to bring human dignity and and value back to human life, regardless of age, stage, culture economics, you know, religion, politics, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, every human is a human. And so this magazine was dedicated to highlighting stories, issues. It's very content heavy. It's what we call our uh, coffee table magazine. It's not a throwaway. You definitely want to keep it in your office or on a table or somewhere where other people can read it. It's got a laminated cover. It's very high end. And so we wanted something that people would really take note of if you're traveling or anywhere. But basically, uh, and there's also things that are lifestyle oriented, uh, skills oriented. So it's not just the heavy stuff. I call it a magazine of truth and hope because we want to blend those together so people can, can absorb the information. And so what happened was our first issue was accepted by the Library of Congress. It went international, it went uh, digital, and we had print uh, in bookstores like Books a Million and Magazine Cafe and 
and other places. And so the second issue is going to be distributed on an even wider basis. So we have, you know, very selective ads uh, that we put in here, but it's pretty much almost like 92 pages, give or take a few. And it's very highly content. And the imaging, as you can see, the graphics from Miss Cassandra Tyndall of WOM Media. Uh, she is the, the artist between that. I'm more the editor in chief with content and you know getting sponsors to help us with the project. Uh, but we will have this out. Uh, it's actually ready for sale now at voicesofcourage.media. Thank you for putting that up. And Thank it you. will yeah, it will ship out in four weeks or less. So people can go there now and it's $24.95 for the magazine and it helps support what Voices does. Again, we give that money directly to victims. We give it to programs that they need, whether it's education or housing or other assistance and of course our public awareness campaigns. So that's one of the main things that we use to help bring in funding for those projects. Got it, amazing stuff. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I was I was told of this amazing CD that you guys have coming also. Um, if I'm correct, there's artists from George Clinton from Parliament, uh, yeah. Big Mountain, uh, The Outsiders, uh, Daniel Basuti, if I'm correct, who's the actress, also sings as well. Yes, yes, Daniel Basuti, yeah, beautiful voice. And uh, Corey Feldman, does he sing or is he uh, sponsoring the CD? Well, I think he's contributing a track. Uh, Paul and I haven't had a chance to chat today, but yes, I believe he's also, he's going to sing and he'd like to partner with us on some public service announcements, I believe. So, Got it. Yeah. And the uh, CD is called Broken Treasures. Uh, you hold the key. And um, it's going to be various artists. And if I'm correct, the funds are going to go towards the education of prevention and the rescuing of kids that are being trafficked. Yes, and what we want to do, we'd like to have a special kind of shelter, at least one in every state. We're going to customize education and whether the school's accepted or not, we'll go everywhere else that we can go with the curriculum uh, into communities that want it to uh, be aware and be safe. We also have an, a TV show coming out, also called Voices of Courage next year. Uh, so we've got the funding for the pilot and we're, we're looking for funding for the uh, other episodes. So we're bringing as many tools as possible, Troy, so that the, the, the public, whether you're national, international, wherever you are, you can get something uh, that will educate, inspire, motivate you, even if you have no time and no money on our website, voicesagainsttrafficking.com. You can definitely um, go and add your voice to our roster. Just say, hey, I want to be part of the solution. And we want to get a million names on that roster because you know what happens when you have a million names in your hand? You can influence a lot of people. Yes. And so that's what we're going to do. Voices Against Trafficking is like the hub of a wheel. All the spokes are you, me, uh, other nonprofits, legislators, anybody that says, I'm in, this is time to stop it. And so that's why we really want to have that. So uh, the voices, or rather the um, Broken Treasures CD will hopefully be out in the next two to three weeks, but you all are the first radio station to promote it. So thanks for doing that. Oh, thank you. We're honored for that. We have a question there. Deary, could you put that back up? Uh, Solrez Music says, good evening. Great pod, great podcast with a great cause. My question for Andy, with all that you pour out, what do you do to recharge? This type of work has to be tiring. 
You are absolutely correct. And thank you for that question, because a lot of times you just get up, you go and you do what you have to do and you don't really think about it. But I have learned uh, that active rescues are very exhausting. And we now have someone that's got two teams that once we have the corporate funding or wherever we get the funding from, we'll go out and do those. But one uh, to your point about recharging. Uh, what I try to do, music has always been a part of my life since I was very young because that's where I hid and that's where I felt safe was mm -hmm. in music. So I listen to music. Um, I have a very, what I call a core support group where I can say, you know what, I'm having a, a slow day or I'm having a really hard time with PTSD uh, mm -hmm. or just reaching out and saying, I'm good, you know, but you know, this is happening. Um, and then sometimes it's just more, um, I'm hoping that as things go along, I'll be able to do more self-care, but I have a puppy and every time I get a little bit sideways, she seems to bring me out of it really quick with that cute face. <laughs> it's like, how can you have a bad day when you've got a, an English cream golden retriever looking at you with, you know, the floppy ears and the big smile, but, uh, <laughs> I've learned to get through most of the sleep disorder part, but again, really resting. I'm working on that. God is helping me with that. And so it's yep. a practice. I keep practicing. That's what I can say. Indeed. Fair enough. So we're going to go ahead and start talking about your nonprofit organization, uh, Voices Against Trafficking. What inspired you to start this nonprofit organization to support survivors of trafficking? Well, part of it was I was so brokenhearted that in the state of Oregon that the the big leadership had no interest in youth centers or helping, even during COVID and after COVID. And we didn't have the $175,000 we needed to finish renovating this huge um, building. And I thought, how could this be? How could we have come all this way and all the people that donated construction and and architectural and all of these things, how, how could it be that it ends? But when I, when I finally looked back and I realized what God was building underneath all of that, the reason for the success, the reason why everything had to happen the way it did, uh, like launching on Capitol Hill. I mean, nobody gets to just show up on Capitol Hill, but there was a plan. And he showed me that what we did with that building was really like being a placekeeper. Uh, nobody wanted that building. It was, it was abominable. It was just, it was something that no one would look at. Nobody wanted, but we went in and we, we brought it back to life and we resuscitated it and made it functional, gave it value and worth like human beings. Right. And mm -hmm. somebody that needed it for um, serving uh, families at risk, they took it over. And then we just kind of suddenly elevated into voices against trafficking uh, with that God nudge in the middle of the night. And, you know, I don't know about you, Troy, but he, he tends to get me up between midnight and 3 a.m. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> so can you describe the specific services and programs your organization provides to survivors? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have a case-by-case -case system anywhere in the country. If we're asked to be involved or if we can be involved. So for example, we had somebody that was traveling, one of our members who lives in Georgia and she was getting on a plane and noticed that there is a gentleman maybe in his forties with a little itty bitty baby all covered up with a blanket. You couldn't even see the face. And the baby was crying the whole time. And 
she thought it was kind of strange that the, the man didn't know what to do with the baby or for the baby. There was no diaper bag. There was no bottle. And so she took a selfie, so to speak, so that she could have the guy in the background of the picture. And she called me. She said, I've got to get on this plane, but here's what's happening. She sent me all these pictures and she found out uh, what flight he was going to be on. And then when she landed, so between that and the time she landed, I called one of our other members in DC who happened to have a fast track to Homeland Security. And so we got it reported and within four hours, the case was open. And when she landed, she said, uh, TSA and the flight attendant, everybody got involved that needed to get involved to help mm. save that baby. So that's one of the rare things. But really, we're looking at prevention because the best way to stop human trafficking is to prevent victims from happening. Okay, right. so the prevention requires education. It requires training. It requires speakers like me virtually or in person going to churches, schools, social groups, Rotary, Kiwanis, whatever is out there talking to, to you guys. You know, the media is very important, but not a lot of media yet has jumped on the bad bandwagon to be in the forefront to say, well, we should have someone talk about this who won't terrify the audience, but who will bring truth, bring hope, and, and but still have impact. And so Voices does, uh, we have books out. We now have the magazine going. We're going to have a television show. We've got music and hopefully we'll get another billboard offer. And, and that's what we are doing to try and capture the masses. And because uh, we are fortunate that in the music industry, there are other concert series that are going to mention us when they have their concerts. Uh, we're expecting that more people will be driven to our site. Uh, voicesagainsttrafficking.com, which is being upgraded in the next week or two. It should be finished, but where they can find some basic information and get some help. And our Be Aware, Stay Safe program is available nationally. Brian Searcy with the Paratus Group is willing to go anywhere in the country to any anybody that wants to be trained. Uh, we're also doing virtual training. So we've partnered with him to create curriculum. So we are really trying to fill our tool belt with all the tools possible to reach the human heart and to get to their awareness level. Yes, indeed. We have another question here from Solrez. What can people who are concerned about child trafficking do to help? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so first of all, those helplines and hotlines on our website, voicesagainsttrafficking.com. Go put those in your phone today. And if you have age-appropriate children that understand what those numbers are for, then definitely um, allow them to put the numbers in too. Because here's the thing. Um, maybe you see something strange and you don't really know what to do. Should I report it? Should I not report it? But you can call one of those hotlines in a safe way, neutral way, and wherever you are in the country, they'll find help or they'll talk you through uh, what could be done. But on the local level, level in your neighborhood, you know, really, if somebody had said something, if somebody would, if I had known anyone was looking for me or anyone right. could help, it would have changed my life. But people decades later said, well, we thought there was something weird with your, you know, da, 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 but we didn't want to say anything, right? Right. And people suffer because we're not willing to speak up. It takes courage. The other thing, go to your local law enforcement uh, agency, whatever you have, police, sheriffs, and ask them, what do you want reported? You know, what are you doing about human trafficking? And if they say, oh, well, it doesn't really happen here, you're going to know after this program that that's not true. Okay, mm -hmm. however, you, you should at least, I say out of respect, go find out uh, what, how they want to 
to have it reported is what I'm trying to say. And right. then have go out in our area. We have this big canyon and there was a little girl that was followed by a white pickup truck. And she kind of sensed something was wrong. She was 11 and she managed to hide from them. But where were the adults when kids are getting out of school covering that? Even if you don't have children, volunteer a couple of hours to watch a street or to watch a populated area when kids are getting out of school, when kids are going to the mall, spend some time being the one that surveils the uh, parking lot. And it may sound crazy, but you may see something that no one else does. It's the same car kind of following a kid or is the same car doing laps around the parking lot at Vacation Bible School, which actually happened. And I noticed it and I was able to get somebody and the guy ran off before we were able to get the license plate. But we noticed something was off. And so the awareness program is really key and you can get it virtually. But uh, at this point, what can you do if you suspect or you feel like you have seen it or someone in your family is involved? Call the, hum call the um, Homeland Security hotline that we have on our website. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Um, can you share a success story or an example of how your organization has made a meaningful impact on a survivor's life? Absolutely. So uh, we have a young woman who is now 27. And because of intercession, not only was she able to finish high school at age 20, and she, she, we, we got her on her third suicide attempt, let's put it that way. And so by working with us and, and having creating community, not just with Ed and me, but with uh, we had somebody at the local auto shop and it wasn't just so in case they had auto troubles. It was because if they had a problem, they needed places they could run to where they knew someone would help them. So the manager there was like, Andy, if any anyone you're working with has a problem, you send them here or tell them they can run here and we'll protect them until you can get help. So we did auto shops. We did a bank. Do you know when you're homeless and don't have an address? you do not get to open a bank account. So what happens if you're a victim who's working in any industry? How do you right. keep your money? How do you keep from getting raped and robbed, basically? And I'm right. sorry that's a harsh word, but that's the truth. Uh, it, it's just how it is because you carry cash. You don't have a safe place to put it. You try to trust people. So they said, hey, we don't care. We will use your address and they can open a savings account and we will help them with budgeting or life skills or whatever they need. So we created a community of support for every single person that we have helped so that they knew. And there was a lawyer in town who, who charged 50 bucks, you know, for any kind of situation. And that was it, which, you know, we paid. But he was doing services for some of the kids that needed help. Um, right. Some of them have records and they needed them expunged because it was a shoplifting charge or something like that. So there were other things that we put together. But um, again, uh, so it's it's direct services, housing, food, clothing, whatever it need, whatever it takes. The indirect is do they need education, social services, counseling, help with employment, okay, uh, help managing how, how to budget rent and, and life skills things. Do they need life skills issues? And then if they happen to have kids, what do we do for that? But on the bigger spectrum, knocking on doors of the education board, of the local legislator, calling into accountability uh, the people that claim to be our representatives, senators, Congress people, uh, what are they doing? I tell people, if your local leadership or your national leadership 
or state leadership cannot show you what they have done to protect the children of your community, your state, your nation, they need to be out of office, okay? It's too late to jump on the bandwagon right before an election, right? Right. So recall them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we just have to speak out collectively and say, you know what? If anti-trafficking is not important to you, you are missing the boat. And here's the thing about what I call the voiceless population. The victims that are right now being used, being drugged so that they can be sold for every 15 minutes or whatever it takes. An average victim is sold 20 to 25 times a day. Imagine a 12-year-old, a 15-year-old, even an 18-year-old. That is more than a body, human body can handle long-term. So they're not concerned about that. At the very least, say, hey, those are potential voters, right? I mean, whatever it is, you help me rescue them. They're gonna be part of community. All of the kids and all of the teens and young adults that we rescue, guess what? They pay taxes, they rent, they buy food, they buy gas, they're consumers. They have every much right, as much right as anyone to be protected and to be respected in the communities that they give back to. But how many leaders that are elected actually care about that? Mm. My goodness. That's a heavy one. It's the are, yes, it is. What are some of the pressing needs that survivors of trafficking typically have and how does your organization address them? We are trying to find the states that do model good practices. So, for example, there is a, a, a police, a law enforcement station. And I think it's outside of Atlanta. I'm not quite sure. It's been a while since I I read this story a few months ago. But uh, basically, they have on the premises in the police station a special room dedicated for anyone who walks in or is brought in identifying themselves as a victim of trafficking. Okay. And so that room is where they stay. They get comfort. They get coffee, food, whatever they need. But they stay there. And the services, social services comes to them. The people that are to minister to them or to help them move forward come to that room so that that victim isn't just given a number or an address and, okay, you go over here, but they're closed today. So on Monday, you know, go drag yourself over there after all you've been through and in your trauma and in your pain and sign up for all the stuff you can get for free. So that is more helpful where that victim does not have to exhaust or exert themselves in that moment of identifying and Mm -hmm. then after that happens they have a relationship because they're not going to trust just anyone they don't want to go up to strangers they're more afraid of uh, of people outside of their situation than they are of anyone else as much as they may want the help you have to understand that what they've been through is incomprehensible to the average American, to the average person out there. And all I'm saying is that when they have those services provided in a safe environment where they know they're protected, it's a little bit easier to get them to confide and to say, you know, are you willing to do this? Could we help you do that? And and then you have you start building a baby trust with them. Yeah. yeah, it's more than just a clean bed, a shower and food. Right. Right. No, I hear you. (laughs) We are woefully under, uh, how do I want to say, under-resourced for specific mental health because a counselor is great, 
but there are specific things, especially where there's psychosexual issues, trauma. Um, we had a gal that was technically 21, but she was stopped in her development at age 12. She acted like a 12 year old, even though she was 21. And so because she had arrested development from the trauma and, and somebody, you need a special kind of counselor, special kind of treatment to kind of go that deep and, and break open that, that barrier. And there's not a lot of that available. We had one uh, gal that we helped and we had to send her to Idaho for that kind of help because we didn't have anything in Oregon at the time. Wow. Yeah. That's a long trip to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodness, it's, it's unfortunate. And hopefully there will be those in the medical field that can help will donate that time. But that's not my call. <laughs> yeah. uh, what strategies do you employ to raise awareness about human trafficking and your organization's mission? Well, I think collectively, if we put the CD and all the literature and the magazine and the books together, and, and as we come up, people will come up with new ideas, whether it's for fundraising or, hey, how about this? Can we offer that? Just like coming up with the idea to have uh, either more protection or two, two teams that are going to be developed to go out and do live rescues, which takes a lot of time, a lot of planning and you know, six figures to finance, you know, to do it correctly. So, um, and we, we do go out uh, heavily to influence legislation. Uh, when we have the Netflix issue with the Cuties movie, our members are very active in, in talking about that and, and why that was the hypersexualization of children is out of control. And that you can't claim you're innocent when you know exactly what was in that film and, and exactly how young those kids were. And the people that, you know, participated. So um, anyway, so that was one thing, but also uh, internet safety. Uh, one of our members, Enough is Enough, has been uh, working on internet safety and heavily involved in legislation to protect children, to protect uh, teenagers from what's happening on the internet. And so all of our members bring something to the pie, so to speak, something to the puzzle, and we all have parts. And, and I'm part of the coordination in the hub part, like how can we go bigger? How can we go deeper? How far can we cast those nets? And how deep can we go to rid some of this garbage? And especially, we have laws on the books now, Troy, and they are not enforced. So for example, federally, you can get up to 20 years for one infraction, one uh, conviction of human trafficking, but that's rarely enforced. You can get up to eight years, five to eight years in the states, depending on what state you're in. That's not nearly enough time. And for the people that are complaining about how um, inhumane solitary confinement is, consider the victim. My last predator, the primary one, female sexual predator, just died three years ago and she was 91 years old. Wow. I waited decades for that call. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do anything to, uh, you know, spur her passing on, it just right. happened. Mm -hmm. But victims live with it, no matter how much healing, how much you do, there is always that, uh, what do I want to call, back of the mind, what if they show up? Or what if someone who triggers what they've done shows up and I don't know what to do with it? So whatever the case is, Arizona did a great job. Representative Debbie Lesko was awesome because uh, I think it was two years ago, two Januarys ago, they 
uh, voted and passed legislation. If you are caught exploiting or trafficking a child, one count, you go away for life, no early release, no uh, perks, no parole, no cherry on the ice cream, you're done. Wow. And maybe that would be a deterrent if every state did it. Right. Zero tolerance. Yes, indeed. Zero tolerance. That's exactly it, Troy. Zero tolerance. How has your own perspective on the issue of trafficking involved since you founded this organization? Well, I know a lot more things that I kind of wish I didn't know because we have people deep in other countries. You know, we could, it's hard to talk about organ trafficking, but it happens. It's hard to talk about people in other countries wanting to buy other people's organs if, if they have somebody that will go basically lure them into, hey, there's promise of a job if you're in a country that's poor. And then suddenly right. you're in the truck and you're gone. So there's a lot of ugly, vicious things that would curl most people's skin. Right. Uh, and I wish I didn't know that stuff. But on the other hand, because I do know it, what I know is that we take today and we do the very best we can with it. And if we don't like the results of what we've done today, and we do actually get blessed with tomorrow, then we try again and we try harder. So for me, do I rescue someone every day? Does our organization rescue someone every day? Probably not. But then we also have a lot of tools out there and maybe somebody did learn. Maybe somebody heard me speak or one of our other people speak and maybe that opened awareness. Like I had a woman who had heard me speak and she said, do you know about four days after I put those numbers, the hotlines in my phone, I came across someone who was completely suicidal. And because I had that number, we called together and she got help in her area where she lived. And she she, she got counseling right away. Nice. So who knows, right? We never know, but if we're prepared, that's really what we're looking for. Let's get prepared so you don't feel uncomfortable or awkward or you freak out over something you're not sure about, right? And let's have conversations with our kids at an age appropriate level that says, we're not trying to police you, we're trying to protect you. So, hey, tonight's gonna be taco night and we're gonna watch this video or we're gonna listen to this person speak or we're gonna talk about what's the safe word for our family. So if you're ever in trouble, you just text it and we'll come running, you know? That's what our kids need to know, that they're not gonna be judged for a bad decision because who hasn't made one in their lifetime, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure not you, but <laughs> just saying. <laughs> but but I, yeah. I, <laughs> going off on them is not going to protect them. They're just going to run further. And so if we learn, if, if they're willing to learn from us how to open conversations, how to teach, how to be there, and if something goes sideways, what to do, wouldn't that be a better plan than doing nothing, putting our heads in the sand, or saying, oh, I'm sure someone else will take care of it. Hmm. Yeah. Everybody's passing the buck to everyone and, and nobody's step, stepping up. It's like, come on, we could all chip in and help. Absolutely. There's always a way to help. Yes, ma'am. So lastly, how can individuals and communities get involved and support your organization's mission? Great question. Thank you for that. Um, one is go to voicesagainsttrafficking.com. Look at some of the information. If you have a dollar a month to share, donate it. If you have $5, if you have more, that would be really awesome. We're trying to help somebody right now. And, and the last rescue we did on the fly was over $2,000. So it's not cheap because you have to think about housing, transportation, getting them food, getting them 
clothes, getting them clothes, maybe to interview, all of that stuff. Even though a lot of things get donated, there's things that don't. Nobody donates an apartment for us. You, know, you have to pay for that. So that's one way. Another way is add your voice on that website. Go to the tab, add your voice. Send us your voice to say, hey, add my voice to the roster. That's all we need to show that you actually wanted to do that. We didn't put your name in there or make it up. Um, so that's another way. In your, in your own neighborhood, again, get some information. Are there shelters? Are there places where you could fill a spot for even a couple of hours? Or are there places where a lot of kids congregate, maybe at the park, you know, or the outside basketball court, but there's really no adult there? So that's somebody who might be thinking of trying to snatch a kid would see that, oh, well, you know what, they've got a couple of adults here, maybe we'll, we'll go somewhere else. Now, it doesn't always work that way, but for the most part, you want to uh, deflect the intention before it becomes an action to hurt a kid or to take a kid. It only takes three seconds for a grab, depending on how big the kid is, okay? But it can take many people to be involved. If you're at uh, a sporting event or a, a crowded area, just like uh, a while back, we had that case where the father and the daughter were at, I think a, a Mavericks game, a basketball game or something, and she went up to use the restroom and she was taken. There were eight people involved in that because she got she wow. got sent over state lines. Dad didn't know. Dad probably didn't think about it because she was 15. But again, there are not enough police and security at events like that. So we have to be first responders. But we can only do that if we know what to look for. Yes, ma'am. So, so that, so that, and also if you have a gift or a service that you can provide, we would love to know. We would love to have you talk to us about that. Um, if you want to be an on-call count, you know, somebody that's a certified counselor, or if you want to help us with, you know, legal stuff or tax stuff or any of the things that go into running a business, we could really use that because it's very expensive to pay for that. But most of all, you know, I would say right now, the dollars we use go to actual victims that we are still supporting. And so, again, whatever you have, and if you have, like you are, a media outlet or you have a corporation that's looking for a great nonprofit to get behind or to even donate to so we can get the education programs out so that we can get more awareness, get these books out to every member of Congress. Wouldn't that be great? Right. So they can't say they didn't know. Right. So we have lots of pro projects and programs. Somebody wants to be involved in, you know, being a sponsor for the, the TV program that will be on Roku and other streaming networks around the world. We have all of these things available, which is great. It's kind of like a buffet. Someone just has to pick. We're going to need endorsements for our book from, you know, people, artists, and people around the world. We're going to need a lot of stuff like that. That's fairly simple to do with the right, you know, coordination. Indeed. Well, awesome. Well, let me do a recap real quick. Ladies and gentlemen, you can buy Andy's book, A Fragile Thread of Hope, One Survivor's Quest to Rescue, as well as Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices Speaking as One. They're available now on Amazon, so you can go there and get those books. You can also order the Voices of Courage magazine by going to voicesofcourage.media. It is available for now, and it'll take uh, approximately four weeks till you receive it, but it is a very uh, well-done magazine. So definitely check that out. And in the near future, we will, we will announce that the CD will be coming up as well. Uh, Broken Treasures, You Hold the Key, 
and I said various artists will be on it. Uh, we figure it will be sometime in October. Would that be correct, Miss Andrew? That would be correct. That would be very correct. We're, we're expecting that anytime now, like a baby almost. <laughs> exactly. So before we take off, Miss Andy, what would you like to share to the listeners at this time? Well, first of all, thank you for your patience. I know it's a tough so a subject to talk about, but I'm so grateful to those who do listen and share the information you learn from this. Secondly, um, you know, find out, decide what, what can you do? What would you like to do? Because whether it's time, whether it's resources, whether it's just, you know, prayer, whatever you can offer, make a commitment today to do something because doing something will be better than doing nothing. And so people can do three things, do good, do evil, do nothing. Two of those are counterproductive to a healthy society, to a healthy community, and definitely to safety. So that would be it. And again, if you're watching and you've been wounded, I want you to know without a doubt that was not your fault, okay? And that God loves you, I love you, and I know that, that together we could find resources and help for you. You do not have to go it alone. And please don't feel like you are alone. One reason I share my story versus other things that I could talk about is because I know someone out there needs to know that if one person can make it through the evil and, and go into success and go into healthy relationships, maybe I can too. So I want to encourage you to do that. And above all, I hope God blesses each and every one of you greatly as he has blessed me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Blast Radio says, thank you, Andy. May God bless you and your mission. <laughs> thank you. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the survivor, the author, the advocate, Miss Andy Berger. Thank you so much for your time, Miss Andy. I appreciate it. I'm honored that you took the time to come chat with me. Please hang back a little bit. I wanted to talk to you when we get off here. So, everyone else, um, we will be back here next Thursday. Um, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Central. Definitely come check me out. And remember, please be kind. Celebrating the difference can make a difference. Yeah. Love you guys. Have a good night.